so we are starting a new uh, series, Women uh, of Faith. Uh, I just want to introduce that a little bit before um, Ian comes and reads our uh, reading for us. Um, I think, basically, if we were left as human beings to our own devices, we would undervalue women. We would not give them equal honour and dignity. That is what happens everywhere in the world all the time. We see it in the news, don't we, uh, in Iran. Uh, recently we had a prayer letter from a mate who does ministry in the Middle East. And there's a picture of all the men eating. And Eloise went, where, where are the women? And the answer is, uh, the guests eat first, then the men. And once they finish, they send the food out to the women in the kitchen. So if we are left, according to Genesis, if we're left to our own devices, that's where we end up. And what we get in the Bible, right from the beginning, is a totally countercultural value of women. They are heroes uh, of the faith, just as men are. They are used in God's redemptive plan. And so it's great, I think, for us just to spend some time uh, and to be able to see uh, a bit of that and be encouraged by them. But also, in the Bible, they often show how God uh, is involved in everyday life, works with individuals on a tiny and ordinary and domestic scale, not just a God of the universe who knows all the stars by name, but a God who's personal to someone like Ruth or Hosea or whoever it is. And that is a lovely thing to remember, isn't it? Their actions and experience um, play this significant part in the overall plan of God's redemption plan, but that all happens through just their tiny individual lives. Um, So we're going to enjoy hopefully seeing a bit of that. But also... It's actually often, um, in the Bible, the women's physical weakness and their social weakness reveals their faith on on God. It often reveals God's first concern is for those who are weak and humble. Uh, It reveals and it helps us understand the nature of faith, that dependence is total. Um, And in God's economy... It's not about all the strong blokes who... You know, if you think about every single culture, you think about the art they produce about their heroes. What are those heroes always? They're about eight foot high, they're filled with muscles, and they tend to be blokes. It's not the case with the Bible, is it? Actually, the heroes in the Bible are nothing like that at all. And so, you know, there's women witnessing the empty tomb and the risen Christ for the first time. So not in God's economy. And so that's a reminder for us, isn't it? That actually God's grace is going to be enough for us. So that's why we're going to look at some women in faith. Because I hope that their story, given to us by God, will help us uh, to rely on him more and to see how his economy works. So Ian's going to come and read for us uh, and pray for us before he does that. It's a long one. Uh, You were in Joshua chapter 2. So get that open uh, and let's hear uh, that reading. Before we uh, read, let's uh, let's pray. Father God, we we thank you for your word. And uh, as we listen to your word now and as uh, Ed explains it to us, may your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts uh, to help us uh, understand your truth, trust in your promises, and uh, follow you wholeheartedly. Amen. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim 
Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God in heaven above and on for your for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. <coughs> then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. This is the word of the Lord.
Uh, loving Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, we would confess that you are Lord in our hearts now, that we would believe that you have risen from the dead, that that would be a sign to us that we will be saved. And I pray you'd use these words of yours, um, this event of Rahab's, Lord, to encourage us, Lord, to live for you uh, with a radical and crazy uh, faith and trust. Uh, bless our time now, I pray. Amen. Uh, so uh, on my list of things to do whilst I am starting here is to get stuck in at the, um, the Jolly Sportsman. Uh, I don't know how many of you go in there for a drink. I, I haven't seen you in there, but I'm a little bit nervous of going into new places, especially when I'm a posh vicar and the clientele might not take very kindly to that. So I got Andrew to come with me and uh, <laughs> made me feel a bit better. And we sat in the corner um, and we indeed stuck out a little um, but I'm going to get in there and I want to take that risk to do that and I hope you will hold me to account on doing that but it made me think as I was sort of walking into the pub um, thinking about um, what could I remember about parrying punches because that's what you do when you're a bit nervous is Jesus really worth it? is he really worth it? that's the question that lies behind every question about being a Christian is Jesus really worth it? Every choice that we have to make, that we're debilitating about, that we're debilitating, that we're deliberating, that we're thinking about right now, is Jesus worth it? Lies behind it. What will I have to give up if I start following Jesus? What uh, will we suffer if we take this particular risk in our giving or in the way we raise our kids? Is he worth the pain, hardship, sacrifice, discomfort that you are experiencing right now? Or might do in the future? Is he worth the ridicule, the persecution? And uh, often I'm afraid that he is not. What's God got to say about that? Well, brilliantly, he acts in history with huge acts to convince us that he's worth it. But he also does it in very small things, in individual tiny lives to show us that, yes, he is absolutely worth betraying your whole world for him. What's the theme here is uh, avoiding God's judgment by trusting in his mercy. And the aim is, is that you and I would betray our whole life and turn to Jesus. And that we would move from fear to through faith to a future that we're excited about and that we want to risk everything uh, because we're so excited about it. That's what we get here. Um, so Christians are a people of promise, aren't we? We live with the promises of God. And that's what we cling on to. So that means we're, we love this book of promises that God has given to us that tells us about Jesus. And we need to know that his promises will hold in a world that is filled with fear. There are things to be afraid of. And we need to know that his promises will hold when he says, do not be afraid. Joshua is a book all about the promises of God coming true. His people actually inherit the promised land. And Joshua 21.45 is a summary verse. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. God's promises come true to his people on a big scale. But what about individually? And what about for those who are not part of God's people? Well, here we have Rahab. It's a story of an enemy of God moving from fear to faith, to a future that is extraordinary by giving up 
everything to trust in those promises. And we get to see that it was totally worth it. And that encourages us, I hope. So page 216 of your Bible, have that open. I want to show you the fear, first of all, that there is. There is a great fear in the city of Jericho, this city of strength and power. There is a great fear in Rahab's heart. Can you see that in verse 9, uh, second half of verse 9? I know that the Lord has given you this, this land to you and that a great fear has fallen on us all so that all who live in this country are melting in fear. And then again in verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. They're afraid. And it's repeated in verse 24. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands because all the people are melting in fear. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of God and his people. Now look, what's happening here is not ethnic cleansing. This is not a license for ethnic cleansing. The Bible is very clear what is happening here. There is a judgment going on here which is just the same as Noah and the flood. And in Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 to 6, God says to his people, as he says, you're going to inherit that land and you're going to wipe out those people and take their land. He says to his people, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them before you, out before you. Do you hear that? It's not because you're better. It's because actually it's my judgment on a people who've rejected me. They are my creatures in my land and they've rejected me and so they are now going to experience judgment. So Rahab is right to be afraid, isn't she? And so is the whole city because here comes this God and creator and his, it's his judgment that is coming. And Rahab is as much under that judgment as the whole city. Just, and you know, just like us, she is a complex mix of good and bad and victim, isn't she? So we read in verse 1, when they, entered, uh, when they went into Jericho, they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, prostitute's probably a bit strong for what's going on here. What we've got is the woman who runs the, the saloon in the Western. Imagine that. You know, you go into the bar, it's a pretty tawdy place, and there are sort of women going on upstairs and men going up and down the stairs, and she runs the kind of establishment She's that Western bar owner. She's hard, shrewd. It, you know, Anna said if you met her, she'd probably be one of those intimidating women, a survivor. She's also a victim of male oppression, isn't she? And she's become a part of it. A woman without protection or strength physical or social standing at all. She's a woman who, in verses 4 to 7, is quite happy to lie to the authorities, isn't she? When they come knocking, uh, she says, oh, yeah, yeah, the men came to me, but I don't know where they, uh, when they'd come from. Yeah, he did. And at dusk, when it was time, they left. No, they didn't. They're upstairs. And I don't know which way they went. Yeah, you did. You put them in your roof. Go after them quickly so you can catch them up. What? A shady lady, but good too, who has loves and pleads for her whole household. Did you notice that in 12 and 13? It's not just for me. It's my, she's got a whole family. Spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all those along with them. And she's conspicuously on her own in that, isn't she? There's not a husband or a bloke there who's doing this. She's doing it all for all of them. He's pleading for the escape 
from God's judgment and death. That's what she says in verse 13, isn't it? Look, for all of them, that you will save us from death. Why is she pleading that? It's because in that conversation under the stars on the roof, she reveals that she knows God is real, that his judgment is terrible, and that she is an enemy of that God and his people, and that there is nothing she can do to escape that judgment except throw herself on the mercy of God. I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and he has a great fear. But we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. And when we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on earth below. He owns me and Jericho and we've, we're on the wrong side. That's her fear. Can you see the fear? The fear of a holy God coming in judgment. But then look at her faith. Did you notice the order that she does things? So she actually, Rahab, leaps before checking. She does a crazy and drastic radical change. She betrays her city and her whole world by helping the spies. If she's discovered, she and her whole family are executed as traitors. But in verse 4, the first thing she does is she tells the lie. Uh, there are no spies, they've gone. Now, at that moment, if the guards come knocking and they find out she's dead, then she goes to the Israelites and goes, uh, so any chance I could come with you? If it was me, I would have gone, listen, can I come with you? Yeah, I can. Okay, I'll go and lie to them. Because then you're always safe, aren't you? But she takes a crazy risk in betraying her whole world in order to be identified with God's people. Only then does she ask from kindness, rescue from death. How easy would it have been for the spies to have simply said no? Boshed her on the head, two men. <laughs> Boshed her on the head and jumped out the window. But they're not like that. And so, actually, she asked for this sign. She needs a promise that she can trust them and have faith in this promise that comes via God's people. A promise that when judgment comes, she would escape from death. So she's moved from fear to this kind of faith but can you imagine how nail-biting it would have been just to have this red cord? You hang that in the window. These guys go, they stay in the hills for three days, but then they, they've got to get home to the army. The army all gears up. It's not really an army, it's just a rabble, actually, with the Israelites. They cross the river, they have a whole ceremony. There's a month before they get there. And all the time she's looking at that red cloth, isn't she, going, yeah, yeah, it'll happen, it'll happen, it'll happen. It's not a comfortable time, but she had faith, didn't she? And she waited in faith. She acted in faith and she waited in faith, crazily turning her back on everything she knew and loved because she knew the God of Hebrews was as real as his judgment. But also that he saved his people from the Egyptians. How great is that? That actually he brought them out of Egypt. And so she has in mind a future, doesn't she? She's moved from fear to faith to have in mind this future that's coming. I want you to turn over to me with, pay, with 220 and I want you to see the terrifying culmination of God's judgment but also the future that God delivers. So there we read in Joshua 6 verse 24, the Israelites were rushed into the city, then they burned the whole city and everything in it. 
But they put the silver and the gold articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And isn't this a lovely line? She lives among the Israelites to this day. She's been saved from death and now she's part of God's people. You see, this terrible thing when, when Jericho gets flattened and men, women, children and, and even the animals get done is a picture of God's judgment on all peoples, irrespective of an age and stage, economics. It's even, it even shows God's judgment will come on all of creation. That's why the animals get it as well. And on, on that day, all this creation is burnt up and replaced with a new one. But out of all that... Rahab is rescued. Out of all that, those who have gone from the fear to the faith are given a future. So she lives among the Israelites to this day, rescued from death, for life with God's people as one of God's own. But even greater than that, even greater than that, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 1, page 966. Page 966. I want to show you this enemy of God's people, this shady lady. Look what happens to her. We start at verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, as in those people who are involved in the family line of Jesus coming about. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, uh, the father of Perez. It's funny, isn't it? They're all men at this point. And then you get, oh, it's a woman whose mother was Tamar. And then you've got Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminabad. Aminabad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Skip to the end. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, uh, of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Rahab was looking for escape for death. What she was given was a future with God's people, and she was built into God's salvation plan, becoming the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus himself. Isn't that incredible? Rahab, the shady lady, an enemy of God and God's people. God hasn't just delivered her from death and judgment. He hasn't just joined her into his people. He's made her Jesus' great-great-great-grandmother. Without her, God's salvation plan possibly might not have even happened. What honour. What glory. What a future. And you see, this whole story isn't really about Rahab. It's about the God of the Bible. What does this tell us about him? In the end, God is shown to be even better than Rahab thought. A God of irresistible power and justice, but also a God of amazing kindness and faithfulness, who even makes his enemies part of his family and his glorious future. Those shady sinners who in weakness and faith throw themselves on his mercy. That story helped the Israelites to continue trusting in God's goodness and his promises and his future. And that's supposed to be true of us too. This whole story is really a picture, a movie trailer of what is to come in Jesus. In John 3.36, we have, 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. God's wrath and judgment are real, is what Rahab's story tells us, and they are coming. Jesus taught it and believed it so much that he died to do something about it. An escape from that hell to eternal life is by believing in Jesus. Evidenced by that radical change in our lives, just like Rahab. We have faith in the promise that his life, death and resurrection will pay the price for our sin and give us that perfect record before God. We don't have a red cord in the window. What we have, as we're doing in Romans 10, is... We really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The risen Lord Jesus is the thing we hang on to like Rahab. Yes, he's risen. It's going to happen. It's coming. I will be delivered to an amazing future. We don't fear, but in faith we await our escape from judgment to a future in Christ. So Rahab's story of fear through faith to a glorious future is commended to us also in the, in the letter of Hebrews and in James, and in both instances, it's her faith as seen in her crazy change that is brilliant. And so the question for us is, will you turn your back on the world in favour of faith in Jesus? Will you turn away from everything that you know and love for faith in Jesus? I'm not saying you leave it, but... Who is it that you trust in? Will you turn away from it all in that crazy way that Rahab did? That's, that's the challenge for us here, isn't it, as we look at Rahab? It's an opportunity for you, if you're not yet a Christian, to have a crazy change caused by your faith in Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, um, God and his judgment are real and are inescapable. Can I warn you of that? That's what our passage does today. So be like Jericho. Uh, you can either be like Jericho and wait for it, telling yourself it will never happen, and then experience God's wrath. Or you can be like Rahab and trust in the kindness and faithfulness of a God in providing Jesus, his own son, as a way out. It's a total switch of allegiances. Jesus is my master. His people are my people. I turn back on all that I want to do so that I can be his because only in him is there escape from death. And that means a genuine faith that results in a huge change in your life. Maybe you're a Christian here today, and you're trying to work out, actually, is Jesus really worth it? You're faltering. Or you're, you, you know, you've grown up in a Christian home, and you're not really sure you want to follow your parents' faith. Well, can I say, beware of measuring Jesus' worth by what he can do for you now. That's like Rahab deciding to trust God on the basis of what that month would be like waiting for the Israelites to turn up and rescue her. Do you see that? You're missing the big one. It's not a fear of the part. It's, it's actually, it's, he can rescue me from death for a future that is unimaginably brilliant. And so we're not fear of the past. It's not without difficulty, I know, but that, that's what you want to measure Jesus' worth in. And so you need to radically and crazily steer the ship of your life into the safety of Jesus' harbour to escape that coming storm. Don't dally out there on the waters. Get into the harbour of Jesus. He is totally worth it. Turn that life around. And then if you've been a Christian for a while, well, Rahab-like faith. 
A life that displays radical faith in Jesus through radical action, taking risks. Risk is right. If you've been a Christian a while, you sort of get comfortable. You get a bit nervous about taking risks, like going into a, a pub that you wouldn't normally go into. You, you want a life that displays that you think God's judgment is real and as real as his rescue plan. How do your kids or the kids at church see that in you? How do your relations and friends see that in you? Your total switch of allegiance from one to another. How will Chesham see it in us? You know, isn't that what we loved about Nigel? It was not a quality that, or stuff, his faith. It was that he knew and he believed in a huge God like Rahab and in a future more glorious than we could possibly imagine and in a God who saves through Jesus and who saves anyone. And so he declared to us, didn't he, by his radical change in his life, about the way he spoke to people and he spoke to anyone, whether it's the Rahabs of the world or whether it's the kings and princes of the world, uh, he spoke to anyone, didn't he, about this. Let me leave you with a vision of this, which I really love. One of my heroes uh, that I, uh, of missionaries, you read a biography over, over the summer maybe, it's a great thing to do. One of my favourites, some of you might know um, a chap called Elliot, uh, Jim Elliot, who was a missionary in South America. He flew aeroplanes with five others. They were trying to make contact with a, a tribe. They landed the plane, they made contact, but unfortunately the tribe killed them all, leaving five widows at the sort of base camp, one of whom was uh, Jim Elliot's wife, um, uh, Elizabeth, with a little 10-month-year-old baby. Now, why she, she's a hero to me, because... I mean, you know, Jim Elliot, fantastic and marvellous, but why she's a hero for me is because what she did was, is having rebuilt her life a bit, she stuck at the work with another woman in that group, learning the language of that tribe. And she ended up, about two years later, going back and living with the tribe to tell them about Jesus. With her three-year-old child. She's probably living in a hut next door to one of the guys that killed her husband. There's a woman who has totally turned her back on the world's idea of revenge for love. Totally turned her back on the world's idea of safety and comfort for kids and instead kids trusting in the Lord. Totally turned her back on the comfort for herself now and is totally for the eternal kingdom, isn't she? She's totally trusting in the promises of God to rescue sinners through Jesus Christ to a fearless future in heaven. And that is for everyone, even for these shady people, these weird tribes. She said, uh, I have one desire now, to live a life with reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my strength and energy into it. That's a life that displays this radical faith in Jesus, isn't it? Just like Rahab. So, question for you. Talk about it over coffee. What have you turned away from or have you given up uh, for the Lord? And was it worth it? It might be nothing yet. And so you'll get to hear maybe about someone else doing that. Or maybe is there someone like Elizabeth that you think, I know someone who's done that. Maybe it's Nigel. But why not talk about what you or other people have turned away from to trust in the Lord, and was it worth it? Because the answer is, it's always worth it. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, Lord God, we thank you so much that you are always the hero of the story. 
because your grace is so wonderful that you would take a people like us, uh, so such a funny mix of sin and goodness, and Lord, that you would work in each one of our individual lives like you did with Rahab in order to give us this opportunity to turn to you and to keep turning to you and to keep trusting in you. And Lord, we're like Rahab at the minute. We're waiting in those months of waiting before the Israelites turn up. And it's so uncomfortable often, Lord. And, and we second guess those promises and we go backwards and forwards over. Is this really worth it? Have we done the right thing? And Lord, I thank you for these stories. Uh, for women like Rahab. I thank you for uh, Elizabeth Elliot. For the many women in the mission field, Lord, whose lives remind us you are definitely worth it. The future that you have for us is so wonderful, it's beyond imagining. In the same way that Rahab could never have possibly imagined that you would build her into your salvation plan, the genealogy of your Son and our Saviour. And so, Lord, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that you would help us, Lord, to turn away from all that we know with joyful hearts and faith in your promises to a future that is definitely worth it. Amen. Amen.